You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Welcome to the end from the beginning. This is episode nine. And as we begin, let's do what we do with all of these. Let's go to our text. Isaiah 46.10, New English Bible, I reveal the end from the beginning, and from ancient times I reveal what is to be. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, and this is King James Version, the thing that has been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Now what we're saying is that we believe that the earliest chapters of the book of Genesis reveal what is going to happen at the end of the age. It is like a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. There is a reversal, and uh, they come in sequences, and here's what I mean by that so you understand it. There is a paradise sequence in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. So we take that sequence and we look at the last two chapters of the book of Revelation and we ask ourselves, are there any parallels? And the answer is yes. There are at least 30 in those last two chapters and the first two chapters of Genesis. It is incredible how much Genesis relates to the book of Revelation. When we come to the third chapter of Genesis, we see the fall of Adam When we go to the book of Revelation and look for something to correspond with that, we see the domination of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who takes over the earth and the authority of planet earth and becomes the king of kings and lord of lords. And so you get the idea that we see these two things reversed. If you could see them as a book and they are color-coded in sections and we close the book all of the color codes match. And so I believe there uh, are several different sections here in the book of Genesis that show us what we can expect to see in these last days. Now, we have talked about the flood and how that the flood is a picture of the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church. Now we come to the end of the flood. The flood is over. Noah has come out of the ark. And as we go to Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1, we see what God says. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. The Septuagint says, replenish the earth. In other words, go back and restock it. The idea is to move around it. Don't just hole up in one place, but scatter out, refill all of the earth. That's what God is saying to man in Genesis 9-1. Then he does something that he did not say earlier. He says to Noah in Genesis 9-3, every living thing that lives shall be food for you. So now God is giving him the ability to eat meat. And he's telling Noah, you may now take protein, animal protein into your diet. But God also gives that with a caution. 
Chapter 9, verse 4, you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is the blood. In other words, when you do eat meat, make sure you drain the meat of its blood. You don't consume the blood. Then God establishes human government primarily to carry out punishment upon people who commit the sin or crime of murder. This is Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Now, if you want to see this enlarged on, you can read Romans chapter 13, where Romans chapter 13 tells us that the powers of government are ordained of God. That doesn't mean every person who's in government is ordained of God. It means that the office and the idea of government is ordained of God. And so the Bible teaches that the person who is in that office bears not the sword in vain, meaning that he has been given a commission to execute punishment on evildoers for certain crimes. And in this case, the death penalty is established for the crime of murder. Then God does something different. He shows Noah the rainbow. And it is a token of God's covenant with all mankind and all the animals even that he will never again destroy the earth with a flood. This is Genesis 9, 11, 12, and 13. Let me read it. Thus I establish my covenant with you, never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, in this passage from uh, verse 8 to verse 17, God uses the word covenant seven times. And uh, seven in Scripture is always associated with a complete cycle. In other words, uh, it is God showing, I, I have started something and I've finished something. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. When you get to eight, you start it all over again. And so that's why we have the seven days of creation. And so it's interesting that when God deals with Noah after the flood, he comes back with that seven as if to say it is not going to stop just because earth has changed radically. And then he talks about the seasons. From now on, you will have seed time and harvest, summer and winter. Uh, there will be cycles. And these cycles didn't exist in the pre-flood world. Now, early in Genesis chapter 1, the scripture describes the water that was on planet earth. And there was a great deal of water which was above the firmament. The firmament was heaven or the atmosphere. So God called the atmosphere firmament. And above that firmament, there was a huge water vapor canopy that shielded the earth. And its purpose would have been to keep out ultraviolet radiation. It would have kept harmful rays from the sun and other things in space from coming into earth to cause men to age and uh, to die and so forth. So uh, that water vapor canopy was a protective cover on planet earth. God shielded man with that. The only way that it could rain for 40 days and 40 nights is because of that canopy dissipating, condensing, and 
coming down to the earth in the form of rain. And that's what would have given uh, the earth that much coverage of water. There's also a very real possibility that the earth tilted to its present axis. Uh, so it rotates around the sun or revolves around the sun on an axis, and it rotates on that axis, which means that we have uh, summer and winter because of that. If the earth would have been totally upright the whole time, then the climate would be totally different on planet Earth. And, uh, and there is archaeological evidence uh, to suggest that the earth was totally different at one time. There's evidence that there, were in, uh, there was a great lush vegetation in Antarctica beneath the ice layer. So we know that there have been big time changes on planet earth in the past. Now, the person who believes in evolution, who does not believe in creation as we believe it, that person would suggest that, that there have been uh, millions and millions of years transpire for that. Peter talked about that in 2 Peter chapter 3, and he calls it, uh, by what men call it today, this doctrine of uniformitarianism. He says, the scoffers will say, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And the whole idea is that there are people today who refute the creation story on the basis of uniformitarianism. They say there was never a worldwide catastrophe. Uh, we don't believe that there was this big worldwide flood, that all of these things that happened, happened uh, very slowly over a period of many millions of years. And that idea arose in the 1800s, and it was, uh, it was pushed by those who wanted to teach that there was no God. These guys were atheists, and they wanted to destroy the idea of belief in God and belief in a judgment, and that's what the flood represents. So here we are post-flood, and uh, we've got this rebellion against God. Now, when Noah came off the boat, God gave him these five directives. So we're going to go back over them and recap it. Number one, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Number two, uh, you may now eat animal protein. Number three, when you do eat animal protein, don't drink the blood. Number four, if someone commits a murder, they will be punished by giving up their own life. And number five, God said, I set my rainbow in the cloud as a promise that I will never again, ever, destroy the earth with a flood. Now, we are living in the repudiation of these five directives. Right now, you can see it. First of all, uh, there is this notion that there are way too many people on planet Earth. And there is a very, very serious uh, effort underway to reduce Earth's population. And uh, you won't read a lot about it uh, because it's, it's really, really destructive. But there are people on planet Earth who would like to see whole continents depopulated. And uh, they want to see Earth's population drastically reduced. It could be that some of the diseases that we're seeing redu uh, re released in the population are done so on purpose to reduce population. There are people who believe that we have way too many people on planet Earth. We've got to cut the numbers down. Of course, none of them are 
volunteering to check out, but uh, they definitely believe that the rest of us should be taken out. Uh, then there is this forbidding to abstain from meat. And I want to read to you from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and this is the Apostle Paul talking, and he's saying uh, that in the last days that there will be people giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy. And, and, and I want to just say something about that right now. I have never seen a more hypocritical time in our planet and in our country where uh, leaders will say a particular thing, criticize a past leader for something that they did or said, and yet they are guilty of the exact same things, and, and, or, or maybe even worse. And you see this hypocrisy, and it's, it's crazy. Uh, they have their own conscience seared with a hot iron. What will they do? They will forbid to marry, so there's an attack and assault against marriage, and command to abstain from meats, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, uh, he's talking here about the forbidding of, of eating meat. There have always been a few people that commanded that, but it's going to be wholesale in the days to come. Fifty years ago, I heard about people, I remember some guy called Davy the prophet, and he was forbidding people to eat meat. Uh, that he was considered a lunatic and fringe and nobody followed that. However, today, there are people in very high places who are preaching this, who believe this. Uh, part of what we're seeing nowadays in the taking over of farms and the reduction of farmland is there is a concerted effort to reduce grazing animals on planet Earth because they emit too many carbon emissions and it contributes to global warming. So there is a, a forbidding to eat meat. And it's going to be even more so in the days to come. And we'll see them being much more authoritative in this. Uh, the rainbow. Uh, the rainbow that God set in the clouds means something totally different than what it did when God gave the rainbow. You know, when the rainbow first appeared, it was something new. Nobody had ever seen a rainbow before. And the reason is there was a lot more water in the atmosphere because of the dissipation of that canopy that covered the earth. Now there was a lot more water in the atmosphere, rain and so forth. And because of the sun shining on the water in the atmosphere, you get the rainbow effect. And so God said, God, and God knew the rainbow was going to happen. It wasn't like, oh, I think I'll make a rainbow. God knew exactly what was going to happen uh, in the eternal past when the, the, the dissipation of the water vapor canopy uh, fell onto earth in 40 days and 40 nights of rain and Noah's flood, God knew that there was going to be a rainbow appear in the cloud, and he prepared for that and said, this is my sign. This is my covenant. I will never again uh, destroy the earth with a flood. So you see, it means something totally different today. Repudiation of every single one of those things. We don't punish criminals like we used to. And I'm not suggesting that the criminal justice system has been perfect all down through the ages. It certainly has not. But when it is operated in the way that God ordered it to operate, it will and should reduce crime. And there have been some moments when it worked. And, uh, you know, when I hear people say we've got to reduce the population, what if all of our technologies today that are directed toward warfare 
What if all of those were used to develop farming and to push invention and to push blessing? Do you see how that the reason that we have suffering because of overpopulation is because we have great misuse of resources and we're not using things the way that they were intended to work? This planet was created by God to take care of the people who live here. It is because of gross misuse that we have difficulties. And so what we see is we're in the age of repudiation. And that's what you see in the post-flood time frame. Noah coming out of the boat and you see men rebelling against what God said in those five directives. Well, that's all the time we have for this section, but we're not done. We'll pick up with this in the next section. I'll see you in just a minute. Welcome back. We're talking about the role of Noah, Nimrod, and the post-flood people in portraying the times that we live in now. Now, let me back up just a minute. The flood is pictured in the future as the rapture. The rapture will fulfill the flood. They're the they're, they're same thing. The, the flood is the shadow. The ark is the shadow. The rapture of the church is the fulfillment. So if we go to the period just after the time of the flood, we are looking at what happens prior to, just prior to the rapture. And what we see in Genesis chapter 9, Genesis chapter 10, and Genesis chapter 11 are things that are happening right now. This is current. These things are happening now. We are in this age of repudiation. And remember, there were five directives God gave to Noah as he came off the boat. And when that happened, uh, it, it set a pattern. That pattern is now being totally defied, and we're seeing it uh, defied in every possible way. All five of those things are being uh, negated in today's world. All right, let's go to Genesis chapter 10, and we're going to take a look at something that uh, uh, is unclear to a lot of people because the King James really doesn't bear this out uh, very clearly. So let me read it to you. From Genesis chapter 10, we're going to take the ESV, and, uh, and then we're going to get into some commentary on this. Cush, Cush being a son of Ham, Noah's grandson. Cush fathered Nimrod. In fact, the word Cush means black man. So uh, Ham is the father of all the uh, peoples of Africa. And, uh, and, and it wasn't just one particular tr tribe of people. He, the, the loads of people that lived all over the African continent, not, some of them dark-skinned, uh, some of them not so dark-skinned, but that Cush would be the father of many of them. Now, Noah must have been a fascinating character because he had in his genes all of the races. Uh, when we did our program called The Christmas Train uh, years ago and we had uh, a picture of Adam. One of the things I told the artist who painted Adam, I want to see every race in his face. I, I want to see black people. I want to see Asians. I want to see Anglos uh, because Adam had in his genetics all of the different races. As, as 
people have marched forward in reproduction, we lose a lot of our genetic diversity. Uh, so it's entirely possible that some of these ancient people had uh, uh, different children of different skin tones. And, uh, and then as they continued to develop, uh, those skin tones became more and more pronounced, and so that's why we have the different colors of skin. And it's interesting that our DNA is like 97, 98% the same, maybe even more, that, uh, that even if we have different skin colors and eye shapes and so forth, uh, uh, our DNA is almost exact. I mean, it is so close. And so the idea uh, that uh, there's racism is one of the stupidest ideas uh, because we are the same. And you see it in the blood. God is made of one blood, all nations. And you can get a blood transfusion from anybody provided they have the same type as you. And so uh, we see that this uh, human uh, genome is just an amazing thing. Cush beget Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now that sounds innocent enough. It doesn't sound like he's being uh, uh, defiant here, but it is. When it says he did this before the Lord, it means literally he defied the Lord. He was a mighty hunter uh, in defiance of the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. There's another mark against him because Babel is the seat of idolatry. All idolatrous practice originated in Babel, in the land of uh, what today would be Iraq. Uh, in those days, it was called the land of Shinar. Uh, Babel, Iraq, Akkad, Kalna, and the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria uh, and built Nineveh, Rehobothir, Kela, reason between Nineveh and Kela, that is the great city. Now, let me read to you what uh, other scholars say about Nimrod. Uh, it is from the Hebrew word marad, uh, M-A-R-A-D, which means to rebel. His name literally means we will rebel or come let us rebel. So Nimrod was not a good character. Uh, the, the certain uh, Bible story books and so forth I've seen in the past were that Nimrod was uh, a good character, and that's not so. The Hebrew doesn't bear that out, and, and uh, other sources do not bear that out. Flavius Josephus wrote in the first century, Nimrod persuaded mankind not to ascribe their happiness to God, but to think that his own excellency was the source of it, and he soon changed things into a tyranny, thinking that there was no other way to wean men from the fear of God than by making them rely on his own power. And what was his own power? Gather everybody together under one government. That was what Nimrod was all about. The Targum of Jonathan says, from the foundation of the world, none was ever found like Nimrod, powerful in hunting and in rebellions against the Lord. The Jerusalem Targum says he was a hunter of the sons of men. The Chaldee paraphrase of 1 Chronicles 1.10 says, Cush beget Nimrod, who began to prevail in wickedness, for he shed innocent blood and rebelled against Yahweh. Now this Nimrod character founded the kingdom of Babel, which is the birthplace of all idolatry. And uh, it, it, it gave birth to a false religious system which would continue on in every major empire of the world. And it, it, it's always there. It changes forms. It, 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 it may flow with whatever seems popular at the time. Uh, but it is the same thing over and again. Now, I'm going to read to you from uh, 
the book of Revelation chapter 17, and this is what John received from one of the angels uh, about this system that came into the earth, the false religious system, and uh, Nimrod is certainly associated with it. All right, here we go. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, I want to stop here. The bowls are symbols of judgment. They are filled with the wrath of God. So whenever people do certain things, God pours His wrath into a bowl. He doesn't release His wrath immediately. And so if you've ever wondered, why do bad people get by with things? doesn't mean they get by with it. It means that the wrath doesn't fall immediately. It goes into a bowl. And the bowl holds the wrath until the time that that wrath is full, and then God dumps it. Uh, not everybody's on the same page on planet Earth. There are some people who are partly disobedient, but not totally wicked. In fact, uh, one of the things, I think it's a, a healthy way of thinking that the ancient Jews thought about people, that, that people were in three classes. There were the holy, totally, completely wicked. There were those who were righteous, and then there were the people in the middle. And the middle people could go either way. They weren't necessarily totally wicked, and they weren't necessarily totally righteous, but there was hope for them. And so because of this middle group, God has mercy, and He doesn't just immediately consume the wicked because there are people who associate with them who may be salvageable. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So now you understand about these bowls and why they don't get poured out instantly. And He says, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, waters in Scripture, if they do not refer to a very specific body of water, like the Mediterranean Sea or like the Dead Sea or like the uh, Sea of Galilee, they refer to a group of people. Nations of people are referred to as waters. Many waters means all nations. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So this is a harlot who is a false religious system. And in contrast to the bride, the bride of Christ, which is portrayed as a woman who's pure, clothed in white linen, this harlot is opposite. She wears different clothes, and she is guilty of all kinds of perversion. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, the woman is not the beast. The woman is a religious system, which is always associated with the beast system. So this beast is not a particular kingdom right now. It is a series of kingdoms, is a series of seven different world empires. All right? The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, not the fine linen, uh, the righteousness of the saints. This is different. She's arrayed in purple, scarlet, which means that she is about money and about riches and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, 
the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. Meaning that this false religious system has continually used sexual perversion as a part of its recruiting message, and it has made its appeal through that. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. We look back at Jezebel, who slew the prophets of God. Jezebel was all about bringing sexual uh, sin into worship. Baal worship was all about sexual sin. And when the babies were born, they had another God to deal with the babies. And that God, Molech, would actually accept the babies in a fiery sacrifice. And they would put babies into his hands and burn them alive. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. Now, I want to help you to adjust your thinking here. These ten horns are not scattered over these heads evenly. They are on one head. There's a beast that has seven heads, and on the seventh head there are ten horns. That's where the ten horns are. Because the beast that arises last is the one who has the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. That's what the angel said to John. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Then he said this, Here is the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, the seven mountains are seven kingdoms. It's not Rome, a city on seven hills. A lot of people have taught that. But these are seven kingdoms, seven world empires in Scripture, just like waters. If it doesn't refer to a particular mountain range, then it is referring to a nation. Nations are symbolized by mountains in Scripture. So he is saying that there are seven mountains that this religious system has sat upon. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must continue a short time. Now then he says this, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going into perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. All right, now let me explain what that means. The beast system is a system of world empires that have dominated the nation of Israel. The beast system then doesn't represent all world empires of all times. It has to do particularly with empires that oppress the people of Israel while they're in the land. So here we go. Number one, Egypt. Number two, Assyria. Number three, Babylon. Number four, Medo-Persia, the empire of the Medes and Persians. Number five, Greece. Number six, Rome. So when the angel said to John, five are fallen, he was saying, Egypt, gone. Assyria, gone. Babylon, gone. Medo-Persia, gone. Greece, gone. One is, that's Rome. And there's another, he said, yet to come. And the one that is to come is connected to the one that existed in John's day. It will be a revived Roman Empire. Now, I read this article uh, in July of 2022, 
and uh, really surprised to see it. Uh, first time I've seen it. Uh, I've, I've, I'm sure that there have been other reports of something like this, but Boris Johnson, who is uh, outgoing prime minister of Great Britain, uh, had this to say, the best way to unite Europe is by recreating the Roman Empire. His vision of the Roman Empire in the 21st century is based on a partnership that will include Turkey and North African countries. And the map that they show that they would like to reestablish is certain European nations that are along the coast of the Mediterranean and also uh, North African nations. It will be a 10-nation confederacy. It doesn't exist right now. It is not the European Union. The European Union is certainly a forerunner of it, uh, but the European Union is not this particular empire. It will uh, come about, I believe, in the not-too-distant future. Now, numerous European rulers have attempted to revive the Roman Empire. There was the Holy Roman Empire, as a case in point. Uh, but it was not a part of this beast system because Israel was not in existence when the Holy Roman Empire rose up in the Middle Ages. So there have been a number of these things that have attempted but been attempted, but uh, uh, they have not been the fulfillment of this prophecy. Uh, Adolf Hitler would be another uh, one who attempted this, as was Napoleon. Uh, so they did reflect the Antichrist spirit, but they were not a part of this seven-headed beast system. Now, this beast system wants to come about, but it can't. And what we have is Nimrod as a type and a shadow of an end-time leader, Nimrod, the son of Cush, there will be a revival of Nimrod, and he's not the Antichrist. He is a world leader, very powerful, who would like to bring about this one-world government, but he will be thwarted. And that's what happened in uh, the time right after the flood. Nimrod comes along, and remember, after the flood is uh, before the rapture, because we're going in reverse now. Uh, we start off with, with, with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. That's what we see. The end is from the beginning. So if Nimrod came after the ark, then he's coming before the rapture. And this Nimrod character is going to do everything that he can to create a one world government. And we're in that now. We're seeing that now. And so let me tell you why he's in trouble and why it won't work. Uh, this is Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm reading from the Wiest translation, which I find spectacular on this subject. Kenneth Wiest was a wonderful Greek scholar. And he is writing to the church at Thessalonica because they were troubled because someone had written them in Paul's name that the Antichrist was about to come and that they had now entered into the wrath of God, the day of the Lord, and there was no rapture. And these people were troubled. They were all confused. Let me start with verse 1. Now I am requesting you, brothers, with regard to the coming and personal presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, even our being assembled together to Him, not soon to become unsettled, the source of this unsettled state being your minds, 
neither be thrown into confusion either by spirit, a believer in the Christian assembly who claims the authority of divine revelation and claims to give the saints a word from God. Boy, that, that happens all the time. Or through a word received personally as from us, or through a letter falsely alleged to, to be written by us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come and is now present. So that's what was going on in Thessalonica. And they were all upset because they thought they were in the day of the Lord. And no doubt they were going through some tough times and it made it even more believable. He said, do not begin to allow anyone to lead you astray in any way, <clears throat> because that day shall not come except the aforementioned departure of the church to heaven comes first, and the man of lawlessness is disclosed in his true identity, the son of perdition, who he who sets himself in opposition and exalts himself above everyone and everything that is called a god or that is an object of worship, so that he seats himself in the inner sanctuary of God, proclaiming himself to be deity. All right, now Paul makes it very clear. The man of sin, the Antichrist, the false Messiah, cannot come until after the church has been gathered to Christ. Paul makes that very clear here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Let's go to verse 5. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I kept on telling you these things? And now you know with a positive assurance that which, namely the departure of the church, the saints being assembled to the Lord, is preventing His being disclosed as to His true identity in his strategic appointed time. For the mystery of the aforementioned lawlessness is now operating. Paul said the spirit of Antichrist was operating in his day. The problem is the Holy Spirit in the earth will not allow the Antichrist himself to emerge. Several attempts have been made. The devil can't pull it off because he's being stopped by the Holy Spirit. But only he... The Holy Spirit, who is holding the lawlessness down, will do so until He goes out from the midst of humanity. So the Holy Spirit will retard and hold back this Antichrist spirit who wants to come forward. It is on the earth now in the form of Nimrod II. And Nimrod II is pushing for a global reset, one world government, and uh, we're seeing this kind of thing happen right now, the dissolution of borders, uh, everybody coming together under one central control, really pushing it. They have a dream of this happening by 2030. And so this is a serious thing. Will it succeed? It will be stopped. It won't continue. Now, ultimately, yes, Antichrist will be able to pull together a very powerful empire, a revived Rome, around the Mediterranean Sea. But I can say by the authority of the Word of God, and we'll explain it more in detail later, he won't rule the whole world, and there are a number of reasons why. And I hear people talk about Antichrist is going to take control of the whole world. No, he will not, and I'll show you why later. But in the meantime... There is a Nimrod too, who is rebelling against the things of God, pushing, and I think he's doing it behind the scenes. And the reason I say that is this. We'll get into this in Genesis 11 when we read about the Tower of Babel, 
there is no mention of the particular king who's leading at the Tower of Babel. We see whose kingdom it is, but not the king. The king is mentioned in Genesis chapter 10 twice, but he is not mentioned at all in Genesis chapter 11, which tells me, I think, that he's operating behind the scenes and uh, he's trying to push this forward and to make it happen. And believe you me, there are plenty of people who want that to happen now on planet Earth. And so that's why we're seeing the dissolution of governments. Any powerful leader of any nation who believes in the um, sovereignty of that nation, they're being opposed all over the world right now, whether they're in Europe or South America or in North America. These kinds of leaders are hated because they believe in national sovereignty. This Antichrist spirit that's at work behind the scenes wants to dissolve every border, but he will not succeed, at least not in the immediate future. He's going to hit a bump in the road. I will pick up up more on this in just a little bit, uh, but uh, get your Bible open to Genesis chapter 11. That's where we'll start up in the third part of this topic. Well, we're here now in Genesis chapter 11. We're talking about the Tower of Babel, its king, who is Nimrod, whose name means we will rebel. I believe that this is an, a picture, a great picture and a shadow of what is happening on the earth right now because what they did at Babel is being done again today it is a push toward a one-world government. It is definitely the Antichrist spirit. I believe in this instance that the Antichrist is not yet leading it, and that although this is his spirit, this is the spirit that will bring him forth, I believe there are others who have the same spirit who are being used right now of the enemy to try to push this in a premature fashion. And let me just say this, this happened before. Napoleon tried it. Hitler tried it. We've seen this kind of spirit rise up in ages past, and the devil would love to make it happen before its time. But he won't succeed. God has a timetable. God will see his timetable through because God has purposes that the devil, although he can try to hinder, cannot thwart. All right, now I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 11 about the Tower of Babel. And it says in chapter 11, verse 1, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now that's in direct defiance of what God had told Noah when he said, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish or refill or scattered out and repopulate the earth. 
And this push was to do just the opposite of that. Now, although Nimrod is not mentioned here, his kingdom is. We believe that he's the one who's pushing this. It might suggest that some future Nimrod or present Nimrod is operating in the shadows even though he is very much in charge. He's the tip of the spear. Now it's interesting, these people built with bricks, not with stones, which is very, very symbolic. Bricks are man-made. By necessity, a brick has to be uniform in shape and in size. Whereas God calls his people living stones, and he calls Christ the chief cornerstone. You can see that in 1 Peter 2, 5, and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So stones are creations of God, whereas bricks are creations of men. And so this suggests a uniformity. Union, the pulling together of everybody, has never been one of God's priorities. It's not part of what he does. Uh, it, it, it happens a lot in the church. You see churches calling for unity and they want to get all the churches in the city together for this or for that or the other. Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. Bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now there's a big, big difference between union and unity. And what a lot of people are calling for is for union. They want to see some type of visible organization where we all are signed on to this or that or the other and we all operate together. And, and when people fall into this, and I have ministry friends who get into this, and when they get into this, they're obsessed with it. They, they, they do not feel like they're accomplishing anything unless they have a whole bevy of people on board with them. And typically when they are out trying to unify, they never want to defer or take a back seat. But every time they push for this so-called unity, they want to lead it. They want to be the guy in charge. They want to be the one who does all the speaking. They want to be the preeminent person in the group. And that is a false spirit. Big difference between union and unity. The scripture says that we are fitly joined together. What is that? Fitly means that we have a place. Uh, my small toe doesn't grow out of my armpit. Uh, there's a reason for that. It would not be fitly. It is in the place where it needs to be. So my armpit and my small toe will never have fellowship with each other. If they do, I've had a bad wreck. And so what I want you to see is the body of Christ has a beauty about it because it is fitly joined together and all of the different parts are supporting one another even though they may not be in direct contact with one another because our unity is not a union of physical attachment. It is a unity of the Spirit. In other words, the internal systems of the body, which are uh, pictures of the Holy Spirit, the internal systems, the, the vascular system, the nervous system, the digestive system, all of those things, they are 
symbolic of the flow of the Holy Spirit internally where we are all connected through the heart, which is Christ. Now listen to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 49 and 50. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he doesn't follow with us. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Uh, the apostles were of the mind that in order for this guy to be right, he had to belong to their group and had to be present with them. And Jesus said, no, that's not true. If he's not fighting against us, he's for us. Well, that would do a lot of people good today. Years ago, uh, there was a big unity crusade here in the city. I was all for it. Thought it was a great idea what they're doing. They had a uh, big uh, evangelistic crusade downtown in the Coliseum. And uh, I did not participate. Our church did not participate. We weren't against it. But the reason we didn't participate is had I really pushed to get our church to participate, our church by itself would have filled up the whole convention center. At that time, our church had enough people in it to fill the entire convention center. And so, uh, and, and I'm talking about the smaller one, not the newer one that we have today, but the smaller one, we could have filled it all. And I didn't push because they were filling it already without our participation. But there were some people who were involved who were just totally upset that we did not join in. They were so upset and mad that we weren't a part of it uh, physically. And uh, we, we, we didn't fight. They were already doing great. But I'm going to tell you what they wanted. They wanted us to bring our resources, our people, so they, they could lead them. And that's the way this always works. Every time I've been around some pastor who has a desire to tie everybody together, it's because he wants to lead them. And you'll almost never see guys like that who will take a back seat or a support position. They want to be the head Fred. All right. So in contrast to true unity, union and conformity are marks of the globalist spirit. And the globalist antichrist spirit is already at work, but it won't succeed. Now, Babel is a picture of that. And it was a failure in that it never reached operational status. They, they, they probably got the tower almost complete or maybe did complete it, but they never got it operational. Listen to Genesis 11, verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from, over, from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. In other words, God saw to it that they got back to his original purpose, which be fruitful, multiply, and replenish, refill, get out, and to different places and refill the earth. Therefore, the name is called Babel, which means confusion, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So Babel fails. So I see that spirit at work right now. It will not come to fulfillment. It will try, but it will be thwarted because this Babel one world spirit can't really succeed, and it never really does succeed, and I'll show you why we know that. 
uh, in the future, even when the Antichrist comes about. But it certainly won't come about while the church is on the earth. It will not. The church is in direct opposition to that. Now, even when Antichrist comes, in all of his power, he will not be able to subdue the whole world. And we hear people talking about that. I hear prophecy people talking about that. And, and I'm not trying to be ugly and, and disagreeing with that. But listen to what Daniel chapter 11 says. And this is being written about the Antichrist. That's the, the, he's the subject here. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, him being Antichrist. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. Now listen to this. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon, or the prominent people of Jordan. So this is talking about Antichrist. He doesn't conquer Edom. He doesn't conquer Moab. He doesn't conquer many of the people of Ammon or Jordan. He doesn't conquer the king of the north, and he may defeat in battle the king of the north and south, but he's not in control over them as they push against them. And so the, the, listen to verse 44. Uh, it says, But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. So he is troubled by reports that come to him in his capital as he's taken over Jerusalem from the north and the east. That's probably China. And so he doesn't control China. Uh, they may have the same spirit, may, may all be dominated by demonic powers, but the Antichrist doesn't rule the whole world. Now, let's take a look at something that uh, Jesus said in the book of Matthew, and this, this is something to pay attention to, Matthew chapter 24, he's talking to Jews who will be alive during the tribulation, who will see the abomination of desolation. They'll see Antichrist in the temple declaring that he is God. All right? Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and we read about that, and you can see it in Daniel 9, I believe, uh, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Now pay attention. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who's in the field not go back to get his clothes. And so Jesus says, woe to those who are pregnant in those days and those who are nursing babies. He said, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath day, for there will then be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. He, he said, it's so bad unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now, Jesus is talking to Jews who will be alive during the seven years of tribulation. In the middle of that seven-year period, three and a half years in, the Antichrist, the false Messiah, will go to the temple of God and declare that he's God. At that moment in time, he will begin to attack Jews in Israel. Why? Because they refuse to accept that he is God. They don't think he's the one true God. Many of them will be, there may be some who do, but most won't. He will begin to persecute them, and they are told to flee. Now, if Antichrist rules the whole world, where could they go to? 
doesn't make sense, does it? So when people teach Antichrist is going to rule the whole world, well, it says he's going to cause all who live on the earth. All that means is everybody in his cosmos, everybody in his sphere. Caesar Augustus sent out a decree that the whole world should be taxed. People of China never even heard about that. So it doesn't mean the whole earth. It means everybody in his domain. And so Antichrist has a powerful domain, controls a lot of people, but he doesn't control the whole world. Now... The devil is going to attempt to destroy the people of Israel during this time. Now pay attention to this. It's Revelation chapter 12, and it, it has to do with Satan. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head were a garland of twelve stars. Joseph had a dream about this, and this is symbolic of the nation of Israel. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fire red dragon, heaven, seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. That's the Messiah. And the devil tried to kill the Messiah as soon as he was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That certainly is Jesus Christ. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. That's what you read about in the book of Acts chapter 1 when Jesus was caught up to heaven after he rose from the dead. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So... 1,260 days, three and a half years is where the woman goes in the wilderness and there's a big gap between the time that her child was caught up to the throne of God and when this actually happens. Uh, let me read verse 13 later on in the chapter. Now when the dragon, that's Satan, saw that he had been cast to the earth, Satan in the future will no longer be able to operate in the atmosphere. He's going to be locked down on planet earth on the surface. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. That happens at the middle of the tribulation period, three and a half years in, and he persecutes Israel relentlessly. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. That would be three and a half years. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the, woman, and the dragon was enraged with the woman. He went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the dragon is going to go after anybody who is considered offspring of Israel. That means people who have come to faith in the Jewish Messiah during the tribulation period. Those are not the church. The church is out before then, which means there will be numbers, large numbers, huge numbers of people in that seven years of tribulation that will come to faith in Messiah. So remember this. When we read prophecy, and especially when it concerns the church, the spirit of prophecy always ministers edification, exhortation, and comfort, not gloom and doom. Though the Antichrist will attempt to conquer the entire world, like all the shadows before him, and there have been a number of world rulers who have tried to be the Antichrist, he will be cut short. 
Years ago, one of my good friends, Robert Berger, a great missionary in South America in Peru, just a wonderful man, he said, I'm teaching on the book of Revelation. I, I have a question. He said, I've heard you say that seven is associated with the Lord. It's, it's one of God's numbers. He said, why does the number seven appear so much in the book of Revelation? And that's a great question. Seven does appear a lot in the book of Revelation, 54 times to be exact. And so that's very significant. Uh, in Scripture, numbers always do mean something. So the number seven is a symbol of God's finishing or fulfillment. It's at the end of a cycle. We have a seven-day week. And so that's why seven is significant. The, the book of Revelation is stamped with a seven because it's God's way of saying to us, look, the devil is running wild at the end of the age. He is doing all kinds of things, but even though he is at work, I am at work even more. And I am permitting him only to do so much, and everything that I permit him to do works for my purpose. Now think about that. God permitted Goliath to come to the valley of Elah, and he seemed to prosper for 40 days, but that was on purpose. God was giving King Saul a 40-day window to go out and fight this giant and beat him, and God would have helped him to do it. Saul was compromised. He wouldn't fight. After the end of his 40-day probationary period, God raised up David. David came in and killed the giant. The Philistines did not get to do what they wanted to do. And so that's what you see all through the book of Revelation. Here is Satan wanting to accomplish a certain thing. He takes it so far, but he can't finish it. He can't fulfill it. It always gets stopped short. And that's what you see in this sequence. Satan wants to bring about one world government before its time. He is repudiating everything that God said to Noah in the five directives, but it still isn't enough, and he will not succeed. And so the day that we're living in where the globalists are really pushing to gain power, they will be frustrated genuinely. And uh, this is not their hour. Thank you so much for being with me in this particular podcast. We're not done. This is only episode nine. We have three more to go. I hope you will join me for the rest of these. And I would say this, I'm throwing out a whole lot of information here. And if you're having difficulty understanding or grasping all of it, <clears throat> I would encourage you to go back and listen to it maybe two, three times and really let it sink in. You'll catch things the second time around that you didn't hear the first time around, and it'll make more sense to you. Thank you for joining me. See you next time. I want to thank you for watching our podcast today. And if you really liked it, would you please give us a little thumbs up by clicking on that sign down below. And then I would encourage you to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss any of our future podcasts because they're all going to be good. And if you would like to support us financially, either with a one-time gift or recurring gift, you can do that by clicking on the link below or going to myfaithroots.com. Thank you so much.
for watching this program. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you.